in 1 Samuel 12. It's a, an episode that's not often referred to, but it takes up a whole chapter, and it is a, a pretty significant episode. This is after Israel has, has asked for a king. No, they demanded a king. As they said, we want a king just like all the other nations, so he'll save us from our enemies. And so, some time has happened, Saul has now been anointed as king, and then comes a moment in chapter 12 where Saul is, uh, Solomon, um, Solomon, Samuel, sorry, getting all my S's names messed up. Samuel comes towards the end of his life, and he comes to one of those moments, very important, he says to all of Israel, he says, look, have I done you any wrong? Have I stolen from you? Have I embezzled from you? Any of those things. And so, it's one of those coming clean moments, opportunities The people say, no, you've done us no wrong. So then Samuel tells Israel's history briefly in verses 6 and following in 1 Samuel 12. And it's about primarily the time of the judges. And his whole point in telling that is, look, God has always been faithful and you have persistently been faith-breaking. And so you asked for a king. It was part of your faith-breaking. But just to make it Come home to you. I just want you to know that this was wrong for you to do this. I'm going to pray right now for a thunderstorm to come in during the wheat harvest so you will know, because it's going to be an odd moment, so you will know that God also is displeased with you asking for a king. And right then comes this thunderstorm, and it terrifies them. And they cry out, oh, pray that the thunderstorm will go away. He prays. Then comes verse 19, which is where I want to begin. Verse 19. 1 Samuel 12, verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to Yahweh your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, following Yahweh, but serve him with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver you, for they are empty. Those of you in the adult class this morning know what Samuel's referring to because it's Psalm 33, verse 10 through 12, and so forth. For Yahweh will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased Yahweh to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, Far be it from me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you. Far be it from me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear Yahweh and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Far be it from me to sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And so now we turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, picking up right where we left off two weeks ago. In verse 2, and that's Paige, if you're using that blue Bible, and I hope you do have your Bibles open or your apps open or whatever you've got there where you can see this passage. It's on page 985 in that blue Bible. This just comes logically comes through everything else that Paul has said. He now comes to verses 2 through 4. So Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, 
that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. This is what I've summarized for you and read for you in 1 Samuel 12 when I've read to you in Colossians. It is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, shape our hearts to receive your word and attune our ears and anchor our attention to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So on the back of the worship guide are the sermon notes. Are the sermon notes there? There's lots of space for you to write notes. There's questions at the bottom for your care groups tonight that are meeting tonight. If you're visiting, I know it's going to feel like you just jumped right into a flowing stream that's been going on for a while. It has. We've been doing a series, getting on with the gospel, not getting on without it, not leaving it behind, not stuffing it in a shelf, in a shelf somewhere, but getting on with the gospel. So this is where we come, is verse, chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Now, many of you have heard me quote Ralph Davis more than once. You know what I mean? I mean, he's one of my favorite commentary, comment, commentary writers, but he's also my Old Testament professor from Reformed Theological Seminary. So I'll tell you a little story about Ralph. He always had time to meet with me and to pray with me, even after I was out of seminary and I had my first church, it was 45 minutes away from the Reformed Theological Seminary, I could drive all the way down and go to the Biblical Studies Department at Reformed Theological Seminary, go find his office, knock on the door. And if he wasn't teaching classes or was there, he would always open the door and say, come in, Mike, and he would have time to listen to me, he'd have time to pray with me. And in the dark times that I was in, where I was at in that first church, it was a ray of light. And my friends, that was well over 21 years ago. Well over 21 years ago. Since then, he and I periodically correspond. We'll talk to each other to give each other family details and so forth. But also, he'll, he'll ask me to endorse one of his books, and I'll ask him to endorse one of mine. We're talking pretty often. And once in a blue moon, he reminds me that he has a list of us preachers that he knows and he has taught, which he prays for regularly. He doesn't tell me this all the time. It's about once every two or three years. He'll remind me. And what he's done is he's taken all of his prayer, the people he's praying for, and he has broken them down by the week, the day of the week. So I think all of us preachers and pastors that he taught and he knows, we're on his Thursday list. Right? We're on his Thursday list. That's great. My friends, do you know how touching it is to have my Old Testament professor, one of them, remember me before the throne of God and as well over 21 years. He persistently and tenaciously has prayed for me. And I'm, honestly, it's humbling. It lifts my heart even to, to tell you about it, just thinking about it. And so I want you to keep Ralph Davis' story in the back of your head as we get into these three verses. Now recall the flight plan of Colossians. You've got to recall the flight plan because too often verses in Colossians get pulled out of context and bandied about to prove this or to hammer people with that. But you've got to keep the flight path in mind. You've got to follow its track. So the gospel gift, Jesus as he is freely offered in the gospel, chapter 1, 
brings us gospel liberty. Chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 4. Gospel liberty that causes us to do some gospel leaving. Chapter 3, 5 through 11. We put off, we put on. And that gospel leaving then launches gospel living. That's chapter 3, 12 to the end of the letter, really. Gospel living. Two weeks ago, we saw how that made our families into gospel families. And now, here in verses four, 2 through 4, we hear about gospel entreaty. Entreaty is just a fancy word for prayer. So gospel entreaty. And that's where we're at in these three verses. So first off, notice that Paul calls upon us to, have ardent, to be ardent in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be ardent in prayer. Have a devoted dedication to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, I know you know the New Testament was written in Greek. And so that Greek word, continue steadfastly, is actually the description that was given of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 42. It's the exact same Greek word. They were devoted to, or they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, into the fellowship, and into the breaking of bread, and into, into the prayers. They were known for their dedication, devoted dedication to those four things. And notice one of the aspects is the prayers. They were known for praying. I find it, as a side note, I find it sadly interesting that many of us Protestant evangelicals barely read scripture any longer in our worship services. You can't call us devoted to the apostles' teaching, and we give almost no time to prayer. You could probably add all the prayers in many of the churches, and it comes up to all of two minutes for the whole service, maybe. Three minutes. Devoted to, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. So notice that they're known for that. It's exactly what Paul directs the Roman Christians to do. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, it was reflected in our confession of sin. Rejoice in hope, pray, uh, uh, be patient in tribulation, be constant. That's the Greek word there. Be constant, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's a trait that Christians are to be known for, those who continue steadfastly in prayer. And you'll notice here, if you're paying attention to Colossians, you will remember, because I pointed it out when we were talking about the first chapter, that Paul modeled, Paul modeled this very action to the Colossian church way back in the first chapter. He was continuing, he tells them how he continued steadfastly and persistently in prayer for them. He says, for example, in chapter 1 and verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. So there he models it, and now here at the end of the letter, he says, now join me in continuing steadfastly in prayer, being ardent in prayer. In fact, this is his normal practice, and one of the normal things he says in, all, in many of his letters, he says it repeatedly, like in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. 
Or in Ephesians 1 and verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And by the way, at the end of Ephesians, when you get to chapter 6, he will then say to them, so now you be persistent in prayer with me. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Interesting. He models it at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. We constantly pray for you. And then when you get to the end of Thessalonians, you read this before the confession of sin. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He models it in chapter 1 there in 1 Thessalonians, and then he welcomes in and beckons them to come into what he's doing here. And so, dear friends, ardent prayer is persistent, tenacious prayer on behalf of others. But next, notice that this whole directive is sprouting out of the gospel gift of chapter 1. The reason why he can invite them in to being continuing, uh, continuing steadfastly in prayer is all because of the good news, the gospel gift that he proclaimed in chapter 1. Or he told us, remember, he said, look, the Father has qualified you and has made you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You're part of God's treasured people by grace alone, in Christ alone. And that means then, you're near and dear to the Father. You have the Father's ear. That's motivation for continuing steadfastly in prayer. God has made us His treasured ones. Which means... We are a special grace-made people. Now, don't let this go to your heads and walk around arrogantly and say, we're grace-made people, y'all leave us alone. Right? That goes against everything I've taught. Okay? But we are the special grace-made people who have a grace-given relationship with the Father through Christ. More than any other set of people on the face of the earth, we are able to approach the Father. In the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we're able to approach the Father who is able and ready to help us. The gospel gift is the ground out of which this continuing steadfastly in prayer grows out of. It's motivation. Therefore, my friends, ardent prayer grows out of the realization of what God has already done for us in Christ, what he is doing for us now, and what he will do for us at the end. Part of our problem with ardent prayer is that we lose steam. We lose steam for a host of reasons. But we lose steam. We just run out of energy. We finally give up. I told you the story about me praying for my mom and my dad. I prayed for them for decades that they would be Christians, they'd be, be converted. And finally I just gave up. Don't ever do this, but I gave up and I said, okay, you don't seem to care, so I'm going to quit caring. Three years later, on Mother's Day, mom says to me as I call her on the phone to wish her a happy Mother's Day, she goes, well, what did you preach at your Mother's Day sermon? Well, I don't do Mother's Day, mom, during church. She goes, well, my preacher, what, mom? 
my preacher, what? Are you going to church? Well, yeah, I've been going to church for the last six months. What? What? Right? We put demand, we just run out of steam. We get disillusioned and disoriented. So let me give you some suggestions to help us to continue steadfastly in prayer. There are aids that we all can use that will help you to remain ardent in prayer. So first off, here's one that our church does. John, Pastor John Butler started it, and it has been a great deal. We use it in our home. Anna and I use it for family worship. But the monthly prayer calendar, a tool sitting right back there on the credenza, and you work through 31 days, or 30 days this month, and you work through and you've prayed for everybody in our church. You've also prayed for people who are not members of our church that have been coming. You also get to pray for our missionaries. You also get to pray, for example, like on the 19th for Turkey and Syria in the earthquake recovery. Or you go over here on the other side and we pray for Restore OKC. We pray for our Sunday school teachers. We pray for the war in Ukraine. We pray and it just goes right through the list. You can continue steadfastly in prayer. We've given you a tool. I would highly recommend grabbing one of these. Check your email. If you're on our email list, Natalie has sent you a copy. Right? Use those. There's just a tool. You can also think about the letter I sent out this week, my pastoral letter. I gave an example of using 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 as a prayer. How you can use it in daily prayer. It's just a tool, but it's out there. And at the expense of sounding self-serving... There's always my book. There are some free copies on the credenza out there. I'll go buy more if you want them. Some of you already have this. Just prayers. Most of them you've heard, they're pastoral prayers, our confessions of sin, and some one-off prayers. They're there to help us to be steadfast, continuing steadfastly in prayer. It's a tool. The big deal is we have to not be so proud We have to stop being so proud that we come to acknowledge, yeah, you know, I need tools to give me a little aid, a little hand up to continue steadfastly in prayer. And then to take up those tools and to use them. There's plenty of them out there. So, yeah, we lose steam. One reason why we don't, the main reason why we don't continue steadfastly in prayer is we lose steam, whether it's through disillusionment or we get lost. We get bundle our way, blunder our way through Another tool you can use, just think about Ralph Davis, you can take a prayer journal and you can divide it into seven days and you can start putting a list. Here's the Monday list. Here's the Tuesday list. Here's the Wednesday list. And you just keep cycling back through it and adding to it, taking some off as they pass away or whatever, but you keep that going, you will find it a huge help. So my friends... The trick is that we need to, first off, not not be so proud we think we can do this on our own, and secondly, to realize we have tools that give us aids, and we can pick those up. So to be ardent in prayer, continue steadfastly in prayer. But Paul then goes on to encourage us to be alert in thanksgiving. It's the rest of the verse. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And what's really interesting is that that, uh, what's inside that Greek word there that's translated, being watchful in it, resonates with me because I was a security guard in the Air Force for five and a half years. And it really means be like a sentry, like a sentry, 
S-E-N-T-R-Y. A sentry standing guard and patrolling his zone, watching out for crooks and saboteurs. Right? That's the language of that word, being like a sentry on the guard, looking out for uh, crooks and saboteurs. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. But let me give it to you in a positive way. Back in the 1980s, Kenneth Blanchard became, uh, had a, put out a management book called The One-Minute Manager. Anybody ever read The One-Minute Manager? Well, he's updated it, and he kept this principle in it, and so I thought that was pretty cool. The One-Minute Manager coaches the manager to wander aimlessly on purpose around the campus, right? So some of you heard me use that phrase before because I read it back in 88 or whenever it was, and I love the phrase. To wander aimlessly on purpose around the campus. Why? To catch your people. But catch them doing what? To catch them doing good so you can praise them. Wandering around aimlessly on purpose to catch your people doing good to praise them. What an awesome principle. And most of us wished our bosses had done that. You know what I mean? Because usually they show up whenever we messed up or something, right? Well, think about it. That's the way it is about what it means to be watchful in it with thanksgiving, to wander around aimlessly on purpose inside and through the God's providence to do what? To catch God doing things worthy of thanksgiving, whether answering our prayers in expected ways or answering our prayers in unexpected ways or accomplishing events that we never had the presence of mind to ask for. Wander around aimlessly on purpose in God's providence to catch him doing things worthy of thanksgiving. But honestly, thankfulness is not one of our key traits as humans. We're really good at criticizing. We're really good at bashing. We're really good at tearing down. But thankfulness is not a key trait. And when it comes to being thankful to God, it's not a key trait. Thanklessness is normally due to at least two things. Number one is because we very often have a sense that we are entitled. Well, of course this happened or I got that because I'm worth it. Right? I mean, there's that attitude of entitlement so that there's no gratitude no thankfulness for what's been done. But here's the one I think is more, even more common. Numbness. N-U-M-B-N-E-S-S, if you're spelling that. Numbness. If the psalmist is correct, we heard it in the call to worship, we talked about it in the adult Sunday school class, I mentioned another verse before the, the service. If the psalmist is correct what he, in what he wrote, the earth, O Yahweh, is full of your steadfast love. If the psalmist is correct, and I think he is, then that means, my friends, we're swimming. We're swimming up to our heads, up to the tops of our heads in the steadfast love of the Lord and in the plentiful goodness of the Lord. And so we have become so used to the steadfast love, the, the steadfast love of the Lord and his goodness that we fail to see it any longer. We fail to see it any longer. We become numb. Numb. 
to the steadfast love of the Lord that fills the earth, to the goodness, the plentiful goodness of God that is all around us. Listen, did you wake up this morning? Hello? Some of you did, but some of you are still not up. I got it, okay? You woke up this morning. Who gave you that breath to breathe? Why aren't you in a coma and dead? The steadfast love of the Lord, the goodness of God. You should have got up this morning. I didn't do it either, so don't, don't worry. But we should have got up this morning. We should have said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I got breath. I got brains. We're swimming in the steadfast love of the Lord and we take it so much for granted we can't even see it. That's probably the biggest reason why we're a thankless people. But notice what Paul says. We're to be out there keeping a sharp lookout for God and for His movements in our tiny little spaces that we inhabit and also on the larger world stage. Now, my friends, the same goes in another direction. Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 11, he says, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Now you can apply that verse to lots of different scenarios. But take it on this way. If you expect to see moral failure in your family or in a church, guess what? You'll find what you're looking for. If you expect to find compromise amongst people, the people of God, guess what you're going to find? What you're looking for. Right? That's what he, part of what he's saying. But evil comes to him who searches for it. But if you're diligently seeking good, if you're looking for the great things that God has done in those people, if you're looking for the movement of grace in that family member, that Christian wife, that Christian husband, those Christian adult children, if you're looking for the movement of grace in their life, guess what? You'll begin to notice. Oh, yeah, there it is. Look at there, the labor of faith, steadfastness of hope. Yeah, I see it. You often get what you're looking for. And by the way, Paul does this all the way through the New Testament. He often was looking for things to give thanks to God for every time you turn around. That's why he begins so many of his prayers with, and we thank God constantly for you. We think of you because we've seen these things. Let me put it to you in a humorous way for those of you who want to date yourself with me. We're to be like Elmer Fudd. You remember Elmer Fudd, Bugs Bunny, right? And he would walk around, shh, we're hunting wabbits. Right? We're to be out there hunting wabbits, hunting wabbits, looking for the reasons to give God praise for his amazing grace and his steadfast love that is displayed in us, displayed around us, that is displayed in others, and that is displayed around others. We're to be hunting the wabbits of God's praise, if that helps you any. It's kind of funny. But that's what we're to be doing. That's also how we can being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So we're to be ardent in prayer and alert to thanksgiving. But then Paul draws us into attentive, attentive content. And it's verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. Listen to these verses again. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison 
that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And my friends, I find Paul's request utterly surprising. You may ask why. Well, I'm glad to tell you. Here's why. Paul, the great big old apostle, handpicked by Jesus to be Jesus' spokesman, one of Jesus' spokesmen, promised that he will be filled with the Spirit and his word will be Jesus' word. And what is he doing in verse 3 and 4? Pray for me, I'll know how to preach. Isn't that amazing? That's rather, rather shocking. He asked for two things. He asks for them to pray, for, the, for him to have open doors, and that he would know how to present the gospel properly. John Calvin called this the modesty of Paul. The modesty of Paul. Let me give you, if I can, some illustration in a strange way. You know, once in a while, someone will come to Heritage to looking for financial support. Rarely, but sometimes you'll see them come in, usually between right after the service is over or between Sunday school and the service. That's planned on their part. But then most of the time, I see them through the week. They come, and I'm the only one here, or I'm here with the office manager, and I see them pretty often through the week. They'll come in asking for financial help, and we limit what we give because we don't want to fund anyone's self-destruction. You know what I'm saying? But we always now tell them, and I always do this, I always invite them to church, number one. Now, I'm going to give you this, okay? And this is where it's for this Brahms down here, this on cube. But I'm going to give you this. But, you know, that's just temporary. Let me invite you to church. And when you come to church, ask for Pastor Mike. And I will come up and say, I'm his friend. And I will come and I will introduce you to everyone at church that I can introduce you to as my friend. They never take me up on it. But I offer it every time. But I also offer the second thing. Can I pray for you? And they almost always, I've never had, I don't think I've ever had any of them say no. They almost always, in fact, now they're asking me before they even ask for money. Hey, can you pray for me? And by the way, I need some money. Right? It's really pretty funny. But the real shocker comes on occasion. A few of them will, at the end of my prayer, when I'm done praying for them, will turn around and start praying for me and start praying for you. Now, the temptation is to get uppity, if you know what I mean. And to think, well, no, wait, wait, wait. I'm giving you the money. I'm the one who has the power here. And you're going to pray for me? What? Right, that's a temptation. And I will tell you, this is an honesty moment. That swelled up in my head a couple of times, the very first few times. And since then, I've caught myself. And I realize, you know, God could answer anyone's prayer doesn't promise to answer everyone's prayer, but he can answer anyone's prayer. And some of these may actually be Christians. And so I've learned what I do now is I just say at the end, as they're praying for me and they're praying for this church, I go, amen, Lord. Amen, what they said. And I wonder, looking around just in the last four months, I wonder if that's not what God has been doing, some answering of their prayers. It's really interesting, but to have that modesty to say, yeah, you know, I could use your prayers. Even though I'm the one with the money, you know, our church is, still we could use your prayers. How cool is that? It's beautiful, actually. And I think that's the sense of what's going on here. 
And so notice that Paul asked, here's the big old apostle of Jesus, and he pray, asked for prayers, first off, for open doors, that open, the doors would be open. These are doors of opportunity, but they're also doors into people's receptivity. And if Jesus is the one, Revelation 3, 7 through 8, if Jesus is the one who opens and no one can shut, and shuts and no one can open, then that is the right thing to ask for. Pray to the Lord for open doors. And dear friends, it is fitting for us to do the same, to cry out persistently to Him, to open up some doors for Dan and Becky Young, for Dan Iverson, Right for Hunter and, and Laura Quinn as they go to South Africa, as we pray through our, our missionaries, Lord, open some doors. But it's right for us to pray for God to open some doors for our evangelists. And it's just as right for us to pray for the Lord to open some doors for our Sunday school teachers. Right? As they teach their classes, that there would be receptivity there, and opportunities to even go deeper and further. That, Lord, you would open those doors. Open doors for our preachers. Open doors. And then Paul asks for prayers that he might actually have a clear idea how to speak properly to whomever he is speaking. And that's verse 3 and 4, the other part of the prayer request. Now why would he say that? Because back in chapter 1, he told them, he recounted how they had received the word of the Lord through their faithful minister Epaphras, and they had come to understand it, and they had come to embrace Jesus freely offered in the gospel, the gospel proclaimed to them. And so now Paul is asking in this prayer for, for, for that blessing that they experienced in chapter 1 to go further, to go beyond just them to others as well. That I would know how I should be able to make this clear. Brothers and sisters, you have no idea how close to home Paul's request comes. To make the mystery of Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To make it as clear as clear can be to others. Communicated in a way that connects with others. Is, if you don't know this, if you've never done any preaching or public speaking... If you don't know this, I'm going to tell you, it is probably one of the most difficult parts of public speaking and preaching and teaching. Communicating in a way that people understand. And there's a host of reasons. I want to focus on one because I think Paul has this in mind here as part of it. Normal communication theories tell us that there's the messenger, preacher, the messenger. Then there's the message. And then there's the receiver but then sometimes that simple formula doesn't work because there is noise you get a chocolate chip cookie Kathleen there's noise there's something that breaks in there and keeps it from happening now noise can be physical things. It can be actual physical things. It can be like people talking. It can be like cars honking. I remember doing some street preaching and how many people drove by, honked their horns and played their radios up loud. It was impossible to preach, right? And so it can be physical things like that. Children crying, thunder, pages turning, phones ringing, static sound systems on a Good Friday service. Any of those things, right? Those of you who are here that Good Friday. 
Lots of physical noise can get in the way. But noise can also be conceptual. For example, racial slurs. That's a big showstopper. That shuts down all communication almost immediately. Racial slurs or language and dialect differences. Imagine if Shakespeare waltzed in wearing a Geneva gown with a stole and he's going to preach to us Sunday. Uh, I don't know that we would understand him. But he's speaking English. I don't think we would understand him. The dialect is completely different. That can be noise that shuts things down or closes things off. Or there's all kinds of other things like tone of voice, body language, sleepiness, inattentiveness, and you just pile things in there. In many ways, Paul wants them to pray that the noise would be minimized so that he can speak clearly and he can communicate clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ as he's freely offered to us in the gospel. Paul the apostle. Do you not hear the modesty of Paul here? Paul the apostle. Picked by Jesus to be his spokesperson. Paul the Apostle saying, pray for me that I would be able to communicate clearly. The modesty of Paul. That's amazing. And so my friends, pulling this all together, as you recall the wonderful privilege you have in Christ, the Father's qualified you made you part of his treasured people. As you recall the wonderful privilege you have in Christ, pray. Pray for yourself. Be sure, that's just to be sure. But pray for your family. Pray for these brothers and sisters here. Pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. Pray and pray persistently and pray tenaciously. And I hope that Ralph Davis sticks in the back of your head of what that could look like. And as you are praying, be out there with Elmer Fudd on the hunt for wabbits, right? Looking for reasons to give thanks. Looking for reasons to give thanks in people, in your church, in your family. Looking for reasons to give thanks when it comes to God's own works. Looking for reasons to give thanks. But also, dear friends, do not be too proud or too ashamed to use tools to help you. And I gave you a list of those. You can see all those again, or I'll tell you after the service if you want. But be humble and use those tools if that helps you. So, dear friends, getting on with the gospel includes gospel entreaty. Let's pray. Truly, what an amazing opportunity and privilege you give to us, Lord. We have your ear. We have your ear. And we have the Spirit in us interceding. And we have your Son, the great High Priest, who ever lives to intercede for us. We have every reason to draw near. Forgive us. Forgive us for losing steam. Forgive me for when I gave up praying for my mom and my dad. Forgive us for our thanklessness. We have so many reasons to be just thankful all the time. Reawaken our awareness to your steadfast love that fills the earth. 
And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I pray that the modesty of Paul would also linger in our heads and our hearts. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.